Welcome to the Mustang UMC podcast recorded each Sunday morning during our 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. services. We invite you to join us in praise and worship during that time, and our hope is that this podcast serves as an encouragement for you and for your family in your daily life. I invite you to remain standing in body or in spirit for the reading of God's Word. We are um, continuing in the sermon series on the the Beatitudes, so these uh, words may sound familiar, um, but it's good to let them kind of sink deep into our hearts today. Hear the Word of the Lord. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. You all may be seated. Let us pray. And so, God, we do pray for your spirit, your presence, your word to speak. Wherever we are, Lord, meet us there and show us the way that you're calling us to go. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today we're on sort of one of the weirder and stranger and more difficult to understand Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. What does this mean? Who are the meek? What does it mean to inherit? And what does it mean to inherit the earth? And and really what we're going to do today is we're going to look at three words. Inherit, earth, and meek. And if we can understand what those words meant then, then we can understand what they mean to us now, where we are as we are. And so we're going to start with that first word. We're going to talk about the word inheritance. And for that, I have my prized inheritance possession. Now, this may not look like much to you, um, but this is a genuine, guaranteed Ozark do nothing. This is exactly what it does. And I have done this for hours and hours in my life. Um, now, this is why I say it's one of my prized possessions, is because this belonged to my papa, my dad's dad. Now, my dad's dad passed away when I was in 11th grade, and when my dad said, is there anything you want from your papa's house? Now, my, my, my grandfather was a full-blood Native American. Um, he was a full-blood Yuchi Indian, so um, I have kachinas. You may have noticed them in my office. If you've been in my office, I'd say I'd love some kachinas, but I'd also really love the do-nothing. Now that I look back, I think, you know, maybe I should have went for some jewelry or something, right? (laughs) But this do-nothing has been a part of of my life. It's been in every office that I've ever had. Um, And some of you have come into my office and you have used the the fidget spinner, right? Which is essentially what this is. Uh, As you've sat there and as we've talked about all sorts of things, this inheritance 
has meaning and value because every time I have it, I, I see it, I think about my grandfather, I think about him, and, and it's something of great value to me. If um, there are books that could be replaced, there are other things that could be replaced, and, and maybe the store in Conway, Arkansas, where this was made, is still around, but it's not this one that I've had and that has been important to me. You know, here it is, something that of value, of great value that can't be bought, right? I mean, it's part of an inheritance. Is, is it something that, that is passed down? It's something that can't be bought. It's something that, that, that you need to receive. I mean, really, isn't that what an inheritance is? An inheritance is a lasting gift from a loved one. It's that thing that we hold on to. It's that gift. Sometimes it's very tangible. Sometimes it's something that's intangible, but to inherit means that you receive it. It's something that cannot be bought. And so when we hear these words, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. There is something that the meek receive that cannot be bought. There is something that, that can be given to them by someone who loves them that they cannot get any other way possible. And what that thing is, is the earth. Now, this is, a, again, another strange term, because here it's like, what do they mean by the earth? And if we are, are bound for heaven, why do we need earthly things? What does it mean to inherit the earth? What is the earth? Now, one of the things that we need to do is that we need to try to understand Scripture in the context in which it was given. And so in those days, let's go back a couple thousand years to understand Jesus giving this sermon on the, the mount. And, um, and as he was looking over the crowd of people, he would have been talking to a predominantly, if not exclusively, Jewish audience. And 2,000 years ago, the, the Israelites, they were on the mount of what we call the Mount of Beatitudes next to the Sea of Galilee in the promised land but the land wasn't their own and so Jesus was talking to a group of Israelites who were living and able to practice most of their faith and to have most of their freedom but they were always under the guise of Roman oppression and so Rome ultimately owned Israel they let people have their houses they let people they let the Jewish people have their temple they let them rule and be able to have most of the things they want but they were always ready if somebody got out of line. They were always ready to, to come down on the people who weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And so the earth was the land, the promised land for those folks that were there. I mean, I've tried to think, what would it be like to, to live under Roman oppression? And of course, there's nothing that, that we can really kind of understand um, fully what that would be like for us today. But, but I have a little bit of a sense because, as I mentioned, my grandfather was full-blood um, Yuchi Indian. Um, I, that makes me a quarter, um, if you do the math on down the, the line. And, and I think about um, my, my people, the, the Native American tribes, that we have reservations. We have land that was given to us that there is somebody who rules over it. And that I know that sometimes those Native American brothers and sisters that I have, they, they feel oppression that they aren't able to really live on the land in the way in which they feel like they want to. And so this times multiplied many times over is a feeling that the Jewish people had, a feeling of oppression. And a feeling, though, even though they were on the land, they didn't own the land. 
And they were always worried about being evicted from the land. And so when Jesus said these words, blessed are the meek for they will inherit, they will receive the earth, it was literally the earth that they were standing on. It was the land that they had been promised. It was the land that God had told Abraham to go to. After the Israelite people, Abraham and his descendants, after they lived there for a while, they, were, um, they, they went to Egypt. Kind of a long story. I won't get into it today, but they were in Egypt. And that song we sang earlier is Egypt. is about how God's chosen people were to return to the land that belonged to them, to go back to the promised land. And so the Israelite people, they made it back to the promised land. But after they were there for a while, they uh, got exiled. They were forced to leave their homeland. They were supposed to leave their land of safety. And they were exiled. And then they were finally allowed to come back to to this promised land. And even today, the land of Israel, um, one of the reasons why it's a Jewish state is because of how important that, that land is. The size of New Jersey is holy land for the Israelite people, for the Jewish people. The earth, it is a place. And ultimately for us, blessed are those, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. I think what that means is that the earth is what is most precious to you. You will will receive what is most precious, do-nothings, obviously, and other things, right? You'll be able to receive what it is that that, that you need to hold on to. And and for us, we we need that promise to inherit something that is most precious to us. But in those days, for the Jewish people, it was, as I mentioned, the earth. Now, in those days, what the people were expecting, what Jesus' disciples were expecting, was for a Messiah to come. The name, when we say Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ means Messiah. It's the promised one who's going to come and lead the Israelites. And in those days, they did not imagine Jesus as he was. The Messiah that they imagined would be a military king who would come and bring a military victory to his people. In fact, that's really what I believe is why Judas betrayed Jesus. It wasn't because Jesus had done something that had made him mad. It was because he was tired of waiting for Jesus to do anything. Because Jesus was supposed to lead this revolution. He was the Messiah. He was the anointed one. He was the promised one. And he wasn't doing anything. Maybe you've been there before. Jesus, you're supposed to do something. What you waiting for? Like, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this. But Jesus was waiting. And so Judas was tired of Jesus waiting. Tired of Jesus not doing what Judas thought he was supposed to be doing. So he said, if I betray Jesus, I'll jumpstart the revolution. Somebody's got to light the match because Jesus isn't going to do it. It might as well be me. And he took matters into his own hands to begin the fight. Now, this is what you and I do, right? We've been trained. We've been told that you've got you to gotta fight for yourself. You've got to stand up. You've got you to take care of things. You've got to rise and, and grind. You gotta, if you want it, you have to go after it. This is the message that the world tells us that you have to fight, right? Some of us heard that Beastie Boys message a long time ago. You've got to fight for your right to party. I told that at the first service, and I got the just glares of like, I didn't like that song then, I don't like it now, right? But it is a message of some of our songs, right? There was a song a few years ago, right? said, this is my fight song. Take back my life song, right? That you got to take it. You got to, we take it back. What does that mean? Right? You've got to fight. 
It's who we are, right? One of my favorite songs. And, um, and of course, it's one of my favorite songs. It was a song that I listened to on the way to my high school football games. I would, I would sit in my 1993 red Honda Civic, and I would roll down my windows, no matter what the weather was, and literally had to roll down my windows. There's some of you who are like, no, you didn't press a button. No, 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 no. You had to roll them down like this. And I would turn Eye of the Tiger on as loud as possible, right? See, Eye of the Tiger, it's the thrill of the fight. Rising up to the challenge of our rivals. There's a fight and we have to be in it. And so that is sort of what the disciples expected is that in order to fight, in order to get what was most valuable to you, you had to fight for it. But that's not what Jesus says. He doesn't say blessed are the fighters. Blessed are those who took up arms. Blessed are those who went after it. For they will inherit, they will get what is most precious to them. No, 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 no. He says, blessed are the meek. For they shall receive what is most precious to them. Blessed are the meek. For they shall receive what is most precious to them. If you want to receive what's most precious, you don't get it by fighting. You get it by meekness. Now, meek, meek is a strange word, and it, it really even sounds strange to say, like meek, eek, right? And, and one of the things that we often, I think people think about meekness is about weakness. Oftentimes we associate it with being timid or, or being unable to, to do something. We imagine somebody who's shy, who's very, very reserved. But that's not what this biblical word of meekness means. Uh, um, at least I don't believe so, because there are only two people in our Bible who are described as meek. Moses and Jesus. If you want a good list of heroes, that's a pretty good place to start, right? So I don't believe, I wouldn't describe Moses, who confronted Pharaoh, as weak or timid. I wouldn't describe Jesus as that at all either, right? So what does it mean for us to be meek? Now here's Here's the way that I understand meekness, is that meekness is about strength under control. Um, there's some different images that I, I get of it. I, this, fall, this past fall, I did a class called The Meek Father, because I think that this is a good image of, of what it means to be a parent, is to have strength, but to have it under control, right? To not lose control, to not lose our temper, to be strong, not weak. But, but to do that. And one of the ways in which I, I think about meekness is I, I think about holding a baby. Um, you know, that, that in order to hold a baby, you have to be strong. But you have to be gentle at the same time. I mean, this is why it terrifies us to hand a baby over to a seven-year-old. <laughs> because um, we don't know if they're strong enough or gentle enough. Be, so when we, we hand them, we're like, hold the neck, hold the neck, hold the neck. Let me get right behind you, right? Because there's this art that happens in, in meekness, and that art continues. That to really be meek, it's about strength under control. It's about this balance between being strong and, and gentle. And that's what I think about, again, for, for fathers, but for mothers, but for anybody, is that we have to be strong and gentle at the same time. It's about steadfast resolve, not unrestrained anger. 
And in, in, in the Bible, in fact, in the, the Bible is written in two languages. Old Testament is written in Hebrew, New Testament written in Greek. In the Old Testament, the, the Hebrew word for meek means modest or humble. It means somebody who bears a heavy burden. And again, this image I get of the, the preciousness and the specialness of holding a baby. There's a burden because you realize you have life and death in your hands, right? There's this burden that happens when we're meek. In the Greek, uh, this word kind of means gentle and strong. Aristotle, who was an old philosopher, he said that, that meekness is the proper ground between excessive anger and excessive angerlessness. William Barclay, who, who, interpret, who was a commentary on a lot of the New Testament, he wrote these words, Blessed is the person who is always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Easy enough, right? So there's this weird image that we, we get of, of meekness, of being able to stand firm, to stand up, to be content but not to be timid, to be strong but not to be overbearing. I like the way the message translation says it. You're blessed with your content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Now, one of the things that I've been doing, I mentioned this last week, is that I'm going to, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Daniel, he's a pastor at the Lutheran Church. We're both preaching on the, the Beatitudes. We didn't realize we were doing this, but when we talked about it, we said, hey, let's meet and let's talk about this. And so um, I sat down across from my Lutheran friend and, and we were trying to think of what are some examples of, of meekness for our, our congregation to understand. And he said something and I thought, Interesting. And then we said, can we say that? I was like, I don't know. He's like, I don't know if I'm going to say it. He said, I don't know if I'm going to say it. But, but as, as, as we stand here today, I, I think a good example of, of meekness is actually the Me Too movement from a few years ago. You probably remember the, the movement as um, women, woman after woman after woman who had experienced sexual harassment, sexual abuse, sexual assault stood up and told their story of what had happened to them. And just statistically, I know that there are, are multiple women in this congregation who have been sexually harassed, sexually abused, um, sexually assaulted, and it's not okay. And you've experienced loss. And, and, and sometimes you've been told to don't talk about that. Um, and, and there are some that happened decades ago, but it's still fresh. And, and you, wanna, you don't want to be in a world in which that's okay to happen. And so I want to say just a couple of things. One is, I'm sorry for what happened to you. If nobody's ever told you that, I'm sorry for what happened to you. The second thing I want to just say to you is that thank you for sharing your story. Because when you stand firm, when you stand up, you encourage other people who go through and there is something that's not right. And we can be part of it. And so when, when, when individuals showed their story about me too, it enabled other people to see things differently. There wasn't a pointing of the finger. There was a more of a standing firm and saying, this is my story. And that's part of meekness. Again, we live in a world that either says hide or fight, right? Fight or fly are our, our automatic responses, but that is not meekness. It's this weird middleness. A couple years ago, I preached a, a sermon series on, um, this is how I fight my battles. It was a sermon series on the armor of God and, and what that meant. And, and as we look at that text in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, it says these words, 
put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. It doesn't say put on the armor and go out there. It doesn't say put on the armor and get to it. It says get ready and stand firm. One of the images that I get is um, as, a, as a basketball player is that if you're going to take a charge, you've got to stand firm. And that somebody's going to run you over, but you're going to have an opportunity to get the ball for your team and go the other way. That there's a firmness that it takes to standing firm. That's part of what meekness is all about, is you have to stand firm. And again and again in Scripture, we we see these models and we hear these stories. uh, And one of the best ways to understand meekness, I really think, is Psalm 37. In fact, this is probably in Jesus' mind when he talks about inheriting the earth because at the very end of the scripture, in verse 11 of Psalm 37, it says, the lowly will possess the land, the earth, and will live in peace and prosperity. And so this whole psalm builds up to this moment of the promise. And it talks about meekness and what it means. So what does it mean to be meek? Psalm 37. Don't worry about the wicked. Or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn, and the justice of your cause will shine like the noonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. For the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. So much in here. Take the light in the Lord and he will give you your heart's desire. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity the humble, the meek, us. Now this is one thing that's easy to preach. It's easy to say, stand firm. You've got this because God's got this. But it's another thing to live in the reality of our life. And, and, and what we and the song that we sang earlier in Egypt, it, it really takes this, this story and it takes this moment and reminds us that, that when we are at the place where we're between a rock and a hard place and meekness is the last thing we want to do, we want to fight or we want to flee. We want to defend the Alamo until we die, or we want to get the heck out of Dodge. There's a different story. And so in the story of the Exodus, in the book of Exodus, there's a story of God who hears the cry of his people who are in slavery, and he tells them that he hears their cry, he responds, and he says, I want to set you free, and I want to free you to go to the promised land. And so God equips a meek leader named Moses to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. You can imagine how this would have gone in any sort of conversation, right? Imagine a prisoner who goes up to a king and says, hey, we all need to get out of here. And the king says, no, right? Of course not. 
But after these ten plagues, finally Pharaoh relents. And he lets the Israelites go. And so they begin their journey to the promised land. They begin their journey to freedom. And things are going well for just a little bit. Because what happens is, is they're marching on their way. And Pharaoh has second thoughts. And so he says, well, I'm going to send my army. What am I doing? I'm losing all of my slaves. And so he sends his army after them. Can you imagine this herd of people who are making their way? And when they look back, they see the chariots of the enemy. When they look back, they hear the cries. How how intense it would be as as the galloping horses get closer and closer. And when you're marching forward, you find yourself with a sea in front of you. And the, the Israelites found themselves between a sea and an army. Well, what do you do? Do you turn around and fight? Do you turn and run away? Do you just jump into the sea and say, it's not worth it? What do you do, right? And, and, and you might be there today. You probably have been there before. And you certainly will be there again in a moment in time in which you don't know what to do. And so what did the people do? Well, they complained. I know you all don't ever do that, but that's what they did. Because they were saying, they said, look, if we were, let's just go back and be slaves. At least we're alive. At least we know what it's like there. But meek Moses stood up and he said to his people, do not be afraid. Stand firm. There's those words again. Stand firm. And you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. So God told Moses to put his staff in the water and the sea split and he walked on, they walked on dry land. When they made it to the other side of the sea, Pharaoh's army thought, well, hey, let's just cross the sea too. But God closed the waters and they drowned. And not only was the sea, this obstacle that could not be moved, moved and out of their way, but so too was the army. I mean, right, imagine you're between a rock and a hard place and somehow they're both gone. That's exactly what happened. And this is what the Lord will do. So the world will tell you, you've got to fight. Or the, Lord will, or the world will tell you, you just better run away and be scared. It's too much, it's too big. But what does the word tell us? Stand firm. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. And there's some of us who are so prone to fight for all sorts of reasons, and some of them are really valid and good. But the message of Scripture is different. And so I don't know who needs to hear this today, but some of you just need to hear. Stand firm. The Lord is fighting. He is working. He will come to redeem and rescue. He has not given up. Just because it hasn't happened yet, it doesn't mean it won't happen. Even when we don't see it, He's working. And He is moving. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to be still. And when you do that, you're at your meekest. When you're at your meekest, you'll receive more than you could ever imagine.
Thank you for listening to the Mustang UMC podcast. Once again, our services are at 8.30 and 10.50 a.m. every Sunday morning, and we would love to see you there. For more information about the Mustang United Methodist Church, please visit us at mustangumc.org or email us at office at mustangumc.org. That is office at mustangumc.org. We hope you enjoyed.